Hey, hey, welcome back, everyone, to another broadcast of In the Trenches. I'm your host, Tom Morcus, and today I sit down with Andrew Tarvin, who is the creator of Humor That Works. Humor That Works has helped 25,000 people from more than 250 different organizations from all around the world use humor to achieve success and happiness in the workplace. And I brought Andrew onto the call today to talk about humor in the workplace, humor in the work you do as well, because as an entrepreneur, as a marketer, I do like to use humor in a context of, you know, to capture attention, get people entertained, have more fun with, with the content I'm producing, uh, and so that we can ultimately drive better results. In today's conversation, we dive into the engineering of humor. Is there a science or a, a you know, mathematical model to humor? We talk about what makes good humor and bad humor in the workplace. Can humor exist in a PC culture? You know, things like Michael from The Office, is that kind of humor uh, acceptable in today's day and age? Uh, could a movie like Ladybugs be produced and published today? And so Andrew dives in and answers all of these questions that I throw his way. And it was just a very enjoyable and fun conversation as far as I'm concerned. My big takeaway is that humor is something that can, one, actually be engineered. And there's some really good... Uh, techniques and tactics, some pragmatical approaches to thinking about how to be humorous in a, in a productive capacity, both in the workplace and just on your own. And we covered those kind of in depth. So you should be able to walk away with this with a way to be more humorous in a, again, a positive and productive way. And the other kind of takeaway I have from this is just that you shouldn't censor yourself when it comes to being humorous, but you, you just want to make sure that your humor is something that uplifts and is inclusive. And so we kind of break down what that means. I'm not just throwing out superfluous words uh, that have no meaning. We actually break down what it means to be positive and be inclusive in that regard and how to do that in a way that can be beneficial to the people that you're speaking with, whether in the context of being an employer or employee, uh, in the context also of solopreneurship or somebody doing any kind of marketing or online business, any kind of writing or content creation, and some good tips on how to use things like memes and how to uh, respond to negative humor in a way that can still be positive and not send you down into this spiral, this negative spiral that just drags the whole conversation down. So a lot of stuff. I hope you guys like today's interview. And if you do, make sure to leave a review. I'm on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, all over the place. Just search In the Trenches or In the Trenches with Tom Morcus. We're finally on all the platforms. So leave a review and share this. Uh, it really, you know, that's how this thing spreads. And leaving a review anywhere really means a lot to me. And I really appreciate it. So thank you so much in advance for your support. All right. Without further ado, let's get to today's interview. So Andrew, we're going to be talking about humor in the workplace today. But before we get to the funny jokes, <laughs> tell me a little bit about how you got into this in the first place. It seems like an unusual uh, career trajectory, I guess you could say. So give us a little bit of your background. Yeah. And I, that may be the, the biggest joke of all. I don't know. Because when I, <laughs> when I tell people that I, I speak on humor in the workplace and then I ask my background and I tell them I have a degree in computer science and engineering, they're like, wait, what? That's like, the, that's not the background you expect. Um, but yeah, so I, uh, I've always been an engineer, always been obsessed with efficiency, um, uh, you know, to the point that uh, I was even born three weeks early. 
So apparently even the womb, I was like, I don't need a full nine months. I'm ready to go right now. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I remember, you know, all through school trying to be as efficient as possible. I thought, you know, smart for me was getting a 93% in all of my classes because that was the lowest grade you could get and still get an A. Uh, And it got to the point that if I got a 94, 95 or worst case scenario, 100%, I was upset uh, because it meant that I did more work than I had to do. Uh, and so that kind of naturally fit into an engineering mindset. So I went to the Ohio State University, got a degree in computer science and engineering. And after I graduated, started working at Procter & Gamble as an IT project manager, kind of well on that trajectory of what you would expect based on my, my personality assessment. So if you, you know your assessments, I'm a, a type A blue square conscientious INTJ with the sign of Aquarius. Uh, so that means I'm an ambitious, stubborn introvert who likes long walks on the beach. Uh, by myself. Uh, and so computer science and being an IT project manager and everything seemed to be the, the natural fit. Uh, but uh, once I got to PNG, I, I kind of ran into a little bit of a problem because I, I realized that you can't be efficient with humans. Um, you know, you can be efficient with things like computers, but you can't be efficient with people because of, you know, emotions and feelings and people getting tired or stressed out or burned out. And so, uh, instead, you had to be effective, and I didn't necessarily have the skill set that I needed to be effective, but I had started doing improv and stand-up comedy in college and started to realize that some of those same skills you need to be effective in improv are some of the same skills you need to be effective in the workplace. So I started to explore that intersection, and that kind of got me started on that journey. And so you were being a developer, moving to this, it's like, yeah, it doesn't seem like the natural path. Like, why, like, I guess, like, why, why, why even, why even take it up as like something that you want to talk about? Because it seems like, I feel like with the developers, I know they usually make such a good living and they, you know, especially with like that, that typical personality type of like the developer engineer, like it's just kind of good, consistent, healthy living. Why take a chance on something like this? That's kind of, well, I guess out there a little bit. Yeah, well, I think a couple of things. And, and one is that uh, I realized that humor was what was helping me with people. And in a way, it was kind of a way to program humans. And there, there is, you know, when you, when you get start to study comedy and see how it works, there's almost kind of a math to comedy. It's almost like math with words. And so, you know, it was almost another form of engineering. That's why when I left, my self-proclaimed job title was humor engineer because it was kind of taking that same mindset and process that I was using to do computer development and applying it to creating humor and using it effectively in the workplace. And so part of it was kind of an interesting passion and something that people weren't talking about. And a second part of it was that, you know, I, I knew at PNG when I, when I left PNG, they had a good project manager who kind of filled in my role. Um, and, but when I create something like, you know, the book humor that works or the website or some of the, you know, programs that we create, those things don't exist in the world if I didn't create them. And so there's something kind of compelling about this idea that, uh, I'm, you know, adding something to the world that wouldn't exist otherwise. And, and kind of one last touch is like for me, and I'm happy to talk, you know, deeper dive into it if you think it's interesting, but to me, I didn't see it all as all that big of a risk because of some things that I did prior to leaving. But to me, it wasn't this huge, like, oh, is it going to work or not? I had a good couple of reasons to believe that I would at least be, you know, somewhat successful. Well, actually, yeah, let's, let's, let's dovetail there first, because I'm kind of curious about that. Then we'll come back to the, the humor piece. What was it about that? Like, you know, again, being kind of uh, engineering mindset, kind of calculating risk and then, and then, and then being able to decide which course of action to take. 
what was it about what you had, or what, what did you do to prepare to make that leap to know like, yeah, this isn't just like throwing things at the wall, but like maybe there's some with, with certainty you can make this leap or this transition and it wouldn't, um, you know, the, the risk was mitigated, we'll say. Like, what were those things that you were doing? Uh, well, it's, it's a completely unsexy process. Like, I, I wish I had the, you know, sexy, compelling story of, you know, I was in a meeting one day and I got fed up and I, you know, flipped over a table and stormed out and I left and, you know, uh, it was all magic after that. But it's the unsexy process of creating a project plan. So I, I created a, a spreadsheet called Operation Leave Corporate America and I had a checklist of all the things that I had to do to, to complete before I felt comfortable leaving. And this is, you know, to borrow from marketing terms, I was giving myself reasons to believe I was successful. So, you know, on that spreadsheet, I had things like make X number of dollars as a speaker or trainer, uh, as a part, you know, doing it as a side hustle and doing it part time, uh, have a website that had some testimonials and a couple of images of me speaking, have, um, a couple of products or at least a book idea kind of in mind have uh, enough savings so that, you know, if I lived on dollar pizza and ramen noodles here in New York city, that I could survive and skimp by for uh, at least a year have uh, you know, all these different things completed, make sure that I, and even test myself as well. Like I would take a week of vacation while at PNG and be like, okay, can I work on my business for a week? Do, can I actually motivate myself and, discipline myself so that I wake up in the morning and get some things done. And, um, I, so I, I started working towards that spreadsheet and, and one of the things that I realized was like, okay, you know, I, if I leave and it goes terribly, you know, I have at least say a year of runway just for myself, you know, cause the speaking business is very low startup costs. Um, if I, you know, if I, if I'm terrible at it and I fail miserably, you know, within six or nine months, I can then start to look for another job and figuring that I had PNG on the resume, had it as a background and had some social skills. I was like, okay, I can find another, another job in tech in some way. And so those were the two things that kind of helped was having, you know, recognizing that there is a, a plan B in the back of my mind, if I need it, not planning for it, but recognizing that it existed but more importantly, having this spreadsheet that I was working towards. And when, by the time I checked off all the things, that was like the next day I went in and talked to my manager and I left a couple of months later, I didn't leave immediately because we did some like slower transition stuff on a project that I was working on. But those two things made me feel a lot more comfortable where it wasn't like, this is a huge plunge. So this is like very much baby steps into the water of seeing that it will work. So no Jerry Maguire mission statement to, nope. to walk out of the company. No, no mission statement. No later <laughs> Tom Cruise jumping on a couch. Oh man. Uh, you know, no, no HR incidents on the way out. No, it was, it was a, it was a methodical one. It took, honestly, it took about two years or so from the time that I was like, okay, I think that wow. it works as a company that I want to build to the time that I actually left. It was about two years, but that's the, you know, that's the low risk. That's the build it up over time, build a side hustle into something that, you know, you can leave for kind of process. Yeah, that's it, man. I th think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I've talked a little bit about that, like kind of my journey and I was in the army. And so I had like a, a specific time period commitment. And in that whole time that I was active duty, I was like trying to get other things on the side working. And so that by the time I did quit, I didn't, I wasn't able to replace my income, which is what a lot of people recommend. But I was like, no, I think I can do this. And if I can't, there's, you know, these backups and stuff like that. So we'll see what happens. But it's, it's funny. I, I didn't do a, uh, an actual checklist, but I guess more of like a mental one. So everything you're saying is definitely resonate with me. It seems like an, an appropriate way to, again, for those who are listening, 
like take note. Like, I think there's some things there. It's like the discipline to work on your own when you don't have to, you know, and, and then it's the ability to like kind of put out ideas to be somebody who like produces and ships and, and then, and to be able to do that on the side while you still have a full-time job, like that's, it's just smart, smart business, you know, no matter what you do. Yeah. And everything is, you know, it's, it's the iterative approach to things because you never know what is going to resonate with the marketplace. And for me, that was incredibly valuable of having humor that works just as a blog and is sharing things. Okay. Like what do people resonate with? And it took me, you know, in that two years, part of what I was learning is that no one cares about humor in the workplace. Like, you know, there's maybe a thousand global monthly searches for humor in the workplace as a phrase, but they do care about communication skills. They do care about leadership. They do care about stress management or employee engagement. And these are all things that, you know, humor can solve, but it's not what people are searching for. So that understanding of, you know, it's, it's maybe seems simplistic now, but leading with benefits over features or making sure that I'm communicating in a language of my potential clients, as opposed to what I understand, like all of those things I learned while still kind of building things up as opposed to need to needing to learn it while also having this immense pressure to try to make money right away. Right. And also just the idea of humor that works like in the context of kind of what you're describing there, talk, talk to the target market. It's also like, it's a difference that kind of matters. You know, it's like, you could just say, yeah, I help teams with communication and leadership. And then by the time you're finished with the sentence, everybody's asleep. But you know, this angle, it's like, okay, wait, I want to hear more. Right. Because it's, yep. you kind of hit the nail on the head. So again, kudos to that. Um, but I want to shift directions here a little bit to, to the humor that works, the book that you wrote, Tell me a little bit about this engineering of humor. What is humor? How do we actually engineer it? Yeah, so the the idea behind humor engineering is, uh, you know, just like a computer science engineer solves problems using computers and technology and programming and all that. The idea for me as a humor engineer is that I solve workplace issues using humor. And so a lot of that involves kind of employee things. So whether it's for you as an individual, how do you motivate yourself to get work done? And, you know, part of that is if you make your work a little bit more fun, you're a little bit more willing to do it. So when you can gamify your work or play your work in different ways, you are more invested in it Um, or, you know, as a way to relieve stress or we can use it as a tool to communicate in a way that people actually pay attention because the average person is bombarded with 5000 plus messages per day and they send and receive 112 emails per day. And so, like, how do you actually get people to pay attention? Oh, when you get people to laugh, they're now paying attention. And when they're paying attention, now you can get them to, you know, click on something or buy something or act on something. And so the whole mindset, the whole idea is, okay, how do we improve the workplace? How do we ultimately get better results across kind of what we see as the five skills of work, of being able to execute, being able to think, you know, creating a strategic plan, being able to communicate, you know, articulating the intelligence that you have, being able to connect on a human level. So that's emotional intelligence and empathy, and then being able to lead or influence people. Those are kind of the five core skills of work, no matter what you do. So then we're, we're calling humor the missing skill. So how you can do each one of those things in a more effective way. What, what are your, some of your tips then in terms of like, if somebody's listening that they could take away from this to effectively do that? Uh, like to incorporate humor into the workplace in a way that's, that, that's, we'll say, uh, productive. Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, it starts with, for us, it starts with what we call a humor map. 
And so your map is your medium, your audience, and your purpose. So medium is, you know, how are you going to execute your humor? Is it in an email? Is it in a phone call? Is it in a conversation, right? Because you know that, uh, you know, if you say something sarcastic, but it's in person, you can kind of smile with it or something like that. But if you send that out in an email, people are like, why is that person so mean or so aggressive, right? So your medium impacts your message. The second piece is your audience. And this is like who you know, or what, who, who that person is, what they know, what they need, what they expect, and what your relationship is, right? You probably have friends that you kind of poke fun, of, you know, poke fun of or um, banter back and forth a little bit. Like, you know, my group of friends in, in college where it's like, if we didn't make fun of you, it meant we didn't like you. Um, but that doesn't mean that you're going to take that same level of banter with the client that you're meeting for the very first time and immediately start, you know, ragging on them. Um, so your, your audience matters. And the final most important people piece is your purpose. Like, why do you want to use humor? Cause this isn't about just using humor for the sake of humor. It's not just like everyone should have fun. It's okay. What objective do you want to achieve and how can you use humor to help you achieve that objective? And the answer is, you know, humor may not always be the right answer, but oftentimes something small can help. So, you know, for example, for entrepreneurs, uh, one thing is, is managing stress, right? We know that stress by itself is not a bad thing, right? Stress is how we grow. It's how we improve our capacity. But as an engineer who study a lot about productivity, I've learned that it's very difficult to be productive if you are dead. Right. Or if you're like sick and tired, if you're burned out, stressed out, worn out, very difficult to be productive. So we can use humor strategically throughout the day to re-energize, to recharge. And one of the important things to recognize with humor is that it is more broad than comedy. When we think of humor, we so often think of, you know, laughter of jokes of, you know, comedy thing, those are all, that's an important component of humor, but it's also a little bit more broad than that. It's something a little bit different, maybe something even a little bit silly that causes amusement. And so when we're thinking about it, you know, as you're thinking about, okay, how can I use humor to relieve stress throughout the day? It's like, oh, well, let me make sure that I listen to the In the Trenches podcast on my way home so that I relieve some stress and show up more present for my family when I get there. Or, you know, let me, one of the things that I'll do is, um, uh, have kind of some videos lined up because I'm an introvert, right? So I love talking to people, have no problem with it, but I have to recharge afterwards. So after I have meetings, after this meeting, I'll go and watch probably, you know, a, a quick, you know, five minute comedy clip on YouTube. Just see small things that are used to kind of make sure that we're, we're re-energizing throughout the day is one kind of simple strategy for, you know, increasing our effectiveness in the workplace. So in a culture that we live in now where every, it seems like every company even tech companies are kind of like trying to out virtue signal the next company. Mm -hmm. how, how does humor work? Because, you know, a movie like, uh, like ladybugs probably wouldn't be made today. And so I, and, and not that that's like the pinnacle of comedy, but it's one of those things where I are kind you of talking about the, the Leonardo DiCaprio classic ladybug where he played on a women's soccer team, that ladybugs. Yeah. yeah. Was that Leonardo DiCaprio? Yeah, that no was Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. That's the movie that you're pulling out. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a different. We're, we do live in uh, a different time, and I and yeah. Sorry, I think so. There's a question that you're asking, kind of how do we adjust to today's standards? Sorry, I interrupted because I was no, so no, excited about for, ladybugs. Yeah, for sure. No, I'm glad it was a reference that that works because, I mean, again, this is like seeing stuff like that. I'm like, oh, it's interesting. Like even you know, movies that were made like 10 or 20 years ago. I'm like, yeah, that that wouldn't be made today because everybody's got to, got to push some kind of, uh, virtue, um, in everything they do. 
And so now all of a sudden, the stuff that makes humor, in my opinion, funny, which is usually the edgy stuff, not antagonistic, not degrading at all, and certainly not sarcasm. I think everybody needs to stop with sarcasm. I'm saying that seriously, not sarcastically, because it's just, I think it's like just a terrible form of humor. But, you know, what I'm getting at is, you know, we live in an age of, of this kind of PC culture with companies, for sure. It's like ever present. I think some people walk on, on, on eggshells. So how does, how does humor actually work in that context? Yeah, I think a, an important kind of thing to keep in mind, because it's a great question and it's a, it's a concern that a lot of people have. And part of the, one of the things to keep in mind is, is using humor in the workplace, you're not, your goal is not to become a famous comedian as a result of it, right? So yeah, if you are Anthony Jeselnik, who still pushes the boundary with a lot of things and what would be considered an aggressive form of humor, um, he can absolutely do in a comedy club. Uh, there's a lot of different types of humor that you can use, say, as catharsis with your friends. Like, you know, if you we've done some work with emergency first responders, with the FBI, with um, people at the Red Cross, people who work in very, very serious, you know, uh, areas or very serious roles, a lot of times they have a darker humor, a darker in-group of humor that they share with each other. And it's a very important form of catharsis, a way to relieve stress. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's one that you're going to proactively use in the workplace because the goal isn't again to be seen as that, you know, super funny person and be told, Oh, you should, you know, do stand up comedy. The goal is to get better results. And so it's important to understand that because of the shifting changes in culture and, and how audiences, how, how the person receiving it might receive it or how they might take it. Yeah, absolutely. You want to stick to some more positive forms of humor. So what we recommend is, is, typically positive, inclusive humor. Uh, so this is, you know, team building type things. It's more like Ellen DeGeneres and less George Carlin uh, in terms of kind of like style. And then you can use also self-defeating humor. So uh, self-defeating humor, self-deprecating humor is a negative form of humor, but the target is yourself. As opposed to targeting someone else, you're targeting yourself and kind of poking fun at a little bit of, you know, something about you. So for example, when I speak, I'll sometimes reference that, um, you know, people think I could look kind of like a skinny Hugh Jackman. And so I'll take that a little bit further and I'll joke and say, you know, that it's true. I am a feeble person. I was born 8.3 pounds and stayed that way till I was 15 years old. Right. And so the target in that case of that joke is, is myself and self-defeating humor can be great if you're in a high status position. So if you're the one presenting or if you're the CEO or senior leader in an organization uh, and if it's used sparingly right? You don't want it to be the only style of humor that you use. And this is an important call out for women uh, because at least in, in one study, they found that when men used humor in the workplace, they were met with a positive response, something like 80 or 90% of the time. And when women used humor in the workplace, they were met with a positive response only 20% of the time. But in that same study, they found that about 80% of the humor that men use was off the cuff so kind of just conversational in the moment. And 70% of the humor that women used was self-defeating, was, um, you know, poking fun of themselves. And again, when you consistently use self-defeating humor, people start to worry like, wait, is this no longer a joke? Is this a, you know, cry for help? Is this a pity party? What's going on? And so that style of humor becomes very important. They didn't also just discover that women aren't as funny as men? Yeah, no, that's not the case. Like, you know, and, and it's, it's always it's been a stereotype about different things. And, the, you know, it's just an, an inaccurate stereotype. For me, I think Ellen DeGeneres is one of my favorite uh, comedians. I think she's hysterical. Same thing with like Hannah Gatsby is doing some very cool things 
in comedy. Wanda Sykes has been hilarious for, for years. So like, yeah, there's, there's easy, you can point to Tina, there's thousands of people you could list off that are hilarious comedians that disprove that. So it's this, so let's zoom in on the inclusive uh, aspect. Cause I have thought about this, like how, how can I engineer humor like in a, a positive way? Cause it's like, so I like, uh, like almost like Vince Vaughn style. I, I was just thinking about like his style, like what I like about it. It's like, he's so optimistic and upbeat and positive. Um, and so, and, and, and I feel like even in his movies and stuff, I mean, maybe there's some where he's not like that, but it's always like the, the jokes are always like, even like riffing on something in a positive way. So like maybe break that down. Is there anything I can think about, like from a structure standpoint of like, you know, I guess thinking about how I can make my messages, especially for people who have maybe who, cause like, and let me get it. I know there's a long winded way to ask this, but like, I know, yeah, the, the idea of like, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to degrade people or, or talk down about them. Um, like that's not good humor. Like, you know, again, maybe in like stand up or something like that. But I like this idea of like being positive and optimistic and, and, and you use the word kind of like inclusive in it. So I'm wondering Lo, like, are there any, are there any pragmatic or practical tips we can think about? Like in terms of, cause I'm thinking about how I would use this for like email marketing and, and messages, you know, and social media marketing and stuff like that. I don't know if it applies beyond just conversational stuff in the workplace too, but maybe you can kind of shed some light on that. Yeah, I think that it absolutely does. And I think the, the easiest way to, to start to do that or the, you know, the, the most practical way is to, to borrow from improvisation. And so the fundamental mindset of improvisation is called yes and, right? If you take an improv class, you will, you will learn it. And there's chances are for you know, the people listening, they've probably heard it at some point at this point. Um, but yes and is the mindset of improv. It's how we as improvisers get on stage and make things up off the top of our head and make it seem like it makes sense, right? And the idea of yes and isn't about that you agree with everything and that everything is perfect or anything like that, but it's, it's a mindset of building off of whatever has already existed. So, you know, I could step out into an improv scene and be like, you know, oh my God, there's a, a dog over there. And the other person would be like, yes, but it's really just a rock, right? And then now you're watching an improv scene Right. Yeah. It's completely, you, that, that person is blocked and you're watching an improv scene about two people argue about something that doesn't exist. Right. And it's improv. We're making it up. That's very different than stepping out into an improv scene and being like, oh my God, there's a dog over there. And the other person would be like, yes. And there's a monkey riding on it. Yes. And that monkey is coming this way. Yeah. Right. You're just going back and forth. And at its most basic level, it's about saying yes. And to each idea. So one, that's an easy thing to do in conversation. So as, as an introvert, you know, I've had to develop my own strategies of how do I network with people? How do I have conversations with people? And one of the strategies is to just yes and whatever the last person said as a way to make it more positive, inclusive. And so that works even with, you know, quintessential small talk. So for example, if someone is like, how about this weather, right? Like quintessential small talk question, you can be like, you know, you wouldn't necessarily say these exact phrase, but the mindset of yes and there of like, yes, you know, how about this 90 degree weather here in New York City? If, and if you weren't at this event uh, right now, this networking event, what would you be doing to stay out of the heat? Right. Oh, I'd be I would go and swim or I'd go on my bike or I'd stay indoors and start watching, you know, Stranger Things season three or whatever it is. Now you've turned a conversation about weather 
into about someone's hobby. And that's getting it a little bit more interesting, building into something a little bit more compelling. And so that simple mindset of yes and is a great way to be more positive and be more inclusive. It's also kind of an extrapolation of how you create humor with different ideas, mm-hmm. right? So there's, there's within UCB, so an improv school based in New York and LA, they take it a little bit further and they teach something called if this is true, what else is true? which is really just kind of a, a specific way of doing yes and. But the idea is if this one concept, if this joke or this idea or this observation is true, what else could be true? So for example, the example that I shared in my TEDx talk is that it took me going to the state of Florida to realize that the rapper Flo Rida got his name from his home state of Florida and he put a space in it. Right. Does that make sense? Did you already know that? Am I, was I like completely off mark of that? But like flow rider is just Florida with the space in it. Yeah. I've, I, that's a good point. I've never really thought about it, but yes, that sounds right. Yeah. So, right. So, and, and I looked it up and it's true. Like he was born in Florida and so he got his name, he put his space in it. So the starts with an observation that if this is true, what else is true or a yes and application of that is to say, okay, you know, maybe there's other brands who could get their brand name by putting spaces in the state that they're from. So for example, there could be like a Hispanic travel agency in Dover called De La Ware, right? Or even dumber than that is there could be a, you know, female internet detective who is married in Biloxi that goes by Mrs. IPPI. Right. So it's, it's a silly example of applying that mindset of if this is true, what else is true or that yes. And so if you're in a conversation with someone and someone like says something that's kind of funny and you want to be positive, and inclusive, just yes. And whatever they said, and, and that helps you to, to generate new ideas. And that mindset of yes. And also applies, you know, to your point, not just in conversation, but say in marketing. Right. So like say, oh, I have to send out these marketing newsletters. So, yes, I'm going to send out these newsletters and I might as well make, you know, find ways to make them more fun. So how can I combine these two things? How can I, you know, uh, Stranger Things has, has recently, you know, come out. And so maybe there's a big buzz around that. So how can I maybe send out a newsletter that is like the Stranger Things of my business? And now I'm going to connect each one of the things that I wanted to make in this point related to Stranger Things. And now it's a little bit more compelling because it's not just your boring marketing content, but, you know, connected to something that people tend to care or like a lot of. Right. So it's like, so part of this then kind of using those structures, which I like that is helpful is like kind of like positive affirmation of like whatever the statement was that is like true kind of acceptance of it. And then, and then riffing on it again, not, not, not shutting it down, but, but riffing on it and like expanding on it kind of. Yeah. And taking it in, taking it it in the direction that you like. Sometimes people hear yes. And like, does that mean not to be a yes man and agree with everything? And it's like, no, take whatever small component you like and build off of that. And then you start to go in a direction based on what you're interested in, as opposed to just agree, you know, blindly agreeing with what this person is talking about. Right. Do you think, um, Michael Scott's humor from the office would work in an office these days? Um, that's a great question. And probably not. There's some aggressive forms of humor. There's and especially earlier on in the office, um, some inappropriate forms. And he's also, he's a great example of someone who is using humor, not to get better results, but for validation. Right. 
right? And that's a that's a huge difference between what you're, he's trying to be seen as a funny and likable right. person, as opposed to thinking, hey, let me use humor in this instance as a way to build, you know, better rapport with one of my clients, or let me use humor in this area um, to, you know, help people relieve stress. Yeah. I was just, <laughs> just thinking about that. It, it's a I, guess question. I guess the distinction being here too, when we think about shows and TVs and, and you, one of the things you mentioned early on was like, you're not trying to be a comedian and it's like part of the, the trope or the, the thing that makes that show funny is how, uh, how bad his humor actually is, mm-hmm. how ineffective it is from a leadership standpoint or from an office manager standpoint, I guess is, is part of the humor, uh, within that series itself. Oh yeah. It's entirely built on, you know, the awkwardness of yeah. you know, the, the moments and the, <laughs> the awkward looks to the camera from Jim and Pam constantly. Like, yeah, it's, it's entirely built around that. Right. So, so in real life, we're not, we're, we're, our, our goal isn't to, uh, to create the type of environment where, where if there was a camera, people would look at it awkwardly, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Another, yeah. That's a great, um, it's a great distinction. Okay. So, okay. So this is good. This has been good. I, I've, I've really enjoyed this. Is there anything else that you think like I, either from like a human engineering sta- standpoint of like comedy uh, from an, a, like a office environment thing, like things we haven't necessarily covered right now, but you think are important when it comes to humor um, in, in terms of like integrating it into the workplace? Yeah. I mean, I think just a reminder that again, the, the map is a really starting point is being, you know, intentional and deliberate about it. I think, you know, kind of connected to that is that, you also don't always have to be the creator of humor, right? You don't have to be the brilliant comedian that comes up with all the witty lines, but instead you can be the shepherd of humor, the the conduit of humor. So, you know, if you find a, you know, TEDx talk that you really like, that's also really funny and makes a point that you've been trying to make to your employees, send an email to them and have them watch the talk. You don't have to like try to repeat all those things or come up with the jokes, you know, yourself, yeah. or, you know, this is memes in the workplace or, you know, on Slack gifs through there. Uh, I was just going to ask you about that memes. What's your take on it? I mean, this is like the, like, I feel like a, uh, at least one new method uh, that's pretty commonplace, especially with like remote workplaces and stuff like that, like memes. And I, again, from a marketing standpoint, I think they're pretty effective too, but what are your thoughts on the use of memes? Yeah, I think, I think absolutely they can be. So there was, you know, the, uh, you know, the John Travolta, um, gif of him from uh, Pulp Fiction, where he's just kind of like looking around from side to side. Do yeah. you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, so it's pretty popular, Jeff. Uh, so there was a, a guy who cold emailed me about some service that I didn't respond to at all. And a week later, he sent me an email where the entire contents of the email was just that gif or gift, depending on how you want to pronounce it, right? But was just that. And it made me laugh because it was clearly the, you know, John Travolta kind of looking from side to side as in like, where's the response? Did you, are you going to respond to me? What's going on? And it prompted a response from me because it made me laugh, right? He didn't, you know, he's not um, Quentin Tarantino. He did not, you know, come up with that. He's not John Travolta, but he found this thing that he can then leverage in this way to kind of make a point that he wanted to. And so I responded to him. I didn't need the service that he was talking about, but he got a response for me because he provided me a smile. And there's, you know, I've done some work with IBM and and part of their sales mantra is, is, you know, their belief is that people buy from the first person to provide them value, whether that is in the form of assessment or conversation or understanding or humor is a way to provide value. You know, if you're a salesperson and you make someone laugh, you show that you understand them and get them kind of on your side, you might be a little bit more willing to be like, ah, you know, I enjoy this interaction, this experience with this person. I maybe want to use it a little bit more or 
interact with them a little bit more and kind of reward them with that, uh, you know, with my business. Um, so I think, you know, for sure I'm on board with kind of means you don't want to overdo it just like anything like humor doesn't replace the work, right? It's not an excuse to then be like, Oh, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to really finish that report. I'll just send a, you know, a funny picture afterwards and I'll be all good. Right. It's not replacing the work. Instead, it's about how you do your work so that you get better results. Right. And there's some, I guess, just like on a, a, a tip for those uh, who, who want to be humorous is like there's such thing as like playing like a joke being played out. And so, mm-hmm. like, I guess like the joke would be on you if you're that person who just keeps uh, <laughs> hammering in the, the memes. I guess there's a point, though, where something goes from funny to not funny. But then I guess if you just keep going, maybe it's funny <laughs> after yeah. that. Actually, yeah, there's, to it? yeah, there's a, so there are, um, I don't know. I, I kind of almost like, I, like I said, there's almost a math to, to comedy. Um, and so I think it's a theorem. So there's a rule of three within comedy. Um, that's pretty well known that things are funnier in threes. So you do something that you can kind of call it back once and then you maybe call it back again. Um, and then it's kind of run it, run its course. If you do it like a fourth or a fifth time, it starts to, you know, kind of get boring. The sixth time people are kind of like getting upset. The seventh time they're, you know, baby getting ready to, to walk out on you eight. They're like actually standing up. And then nine, there's something about comedy that as you do something over and 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 over again, it becomes funny again because you're breaking the expectation that you would do it. It's called the rule of nine or sometimes called the rule of like 68 or also the rake bit. So it's, it's kind of like if you've ever seen Family Guy, that chicken fight that they do that always goes on far too long. Like it's just this idea that sometimes overdoing it becomes funny again. Mm. And maybe be a slightly dangerous one to, yeah. to play with in the workplace, <laughs> yeah, but you're right. It is a, yeah. yeah, don't experiment with that one on the first go. <laughs> right? I exactly. Mean, yeah. But that being said, there is tremendous value in creating a framework for humor. So, Mm -hmm. for example, I think, um, I don't know if you read Next Draft is a newsletter um, by Dave Pell, but it's it's just basically the top 10 stories for each day. So, it's a a news digest, but he does a great job of, he incorporates kind of a little bit of wordplay or puns or that kind of thing in each one of his headlines. And so, what it does is it creates a consistent use of humor. So, it's one of the few emails that I read every single day because, one, it provides value in terms of keeping me up to date on news, but two, I know he does it in a way that's more engaging than just, you know, the normal kind of summary. And so, when you create that consistent use of humor, you're making people want to, to join. And I found that with both my meetings and my emails when I was at PNG. I remember, so I used to include email or jokes at the end of each one of my emails, um, each one of my status reports at PNG as a project manager. And I remember coming into the office one day and I had a bunch of replies to the same email. And I was like, uh oh, what did I do? Like, did I mess something up? Did I like cuss in the email? What, what went wrong? And I had forgotten to include a joke at the bottom. And so people responded. They're like, hey, where were the jokes? I, I'm used to reading jokes in this email. Like, are you still doing the jokes? What happened? Like, you know, so it was something that I didn't know that people were necessarily like attached to. But when I didn't do it, they're like, hey, I open your emails because I'm going to get a joke. As a project manager, you know, to, so, to know that they opened the email and scrolled to the bottom and were proactively looking for it. Like, I don't know if they actually read the bulk of the actual status report email, but to get those two things is a pretty good success. So that consistent use of humor makes people want to pay attention to what you're talking about and helps them stay engaged. 
And when you create that framework where maybe the joke changes each time or how you execute that humor changes, but the fact that it's consistent in there, people are going to want to interact with you. Uh, less, less humor related question before maybe we wrap up. How do you deal with people who like, um, try to like pull in like political stuff into the workspace and think it's funny, but it's really not funny at all. Um, how do you deal with those people? Um, I think so. There's a couple of different strategies. One from a, from a coaching standpoint, right. You know, recognizing that using humor is not an excuse to then talk about topics that you would not talk about otherwise to target someone that you wouldn't other target target otherwise. And you know, the, the third way that humor can be inappropriate is that it comes at an inappropriate time. So there's a coaching element that comes into it in terms of what's appropriate to talk about and what's not, um, from a pure kind of like listening standpoint, to it, one of the most effective ways to kind of counteract or disarm someone who is using either political or say offensive jokes in the workplace is to play dumb, right? If someone says a racist joke to you and you ask them like, I don't get it. Why is that funny for them to have to explain them being racist to someone or them being sexist or them kind of uh, saying, Oh no, it's funny because of this thing. Like it, it usually is, it can be a good way to disarm things because they don't want to have to explain yeah. that. No, the basis of this humor is because and, of something inappropriate. And, and that I would, I would say is probably like the one person I've never seen that happen in my life. And, but maybe it does. And so that seems like a really extreme one person example, but something that's more common, I think is like, as an example, um, uh, as it's like, okay to, completely um uh like talk trash about the current president as an example when half of the population voted for him and so and and people do it again i think they do it unironically but like that's acceptable in the workplace it seems like how do you deal with something like that that's the typical thing that i've seen and i'm not even in a workplace but just hearing stories of people who are in workplaces and seeing this stuff yeah, I think that, I mean, it, it comes down to, a, you know, you want to be in an organization where uh, you can have open and honest conversations and communication with people. And so if someone says something that you're like, I don't, I, I don't feel like that's appropriate, that's not a topic that I enjoy, you know, talking about or joking about should be a fair response that you can share with anything, right? Because, you know, it's, it, people need kind of that, that feedback sometimes to, to know, uh, and it, that, honestly, that is, it's a great question. And it's one that is, does create like a little bit of, of challenge. And it doesn't necessarily mean as soon as someone makes that, you know, comment that you do it right there and scold them in front of a people, it might be in front of a bunch of people, it might be kind of pulling them aside a little bit later and being like, especially if you're the leader and know that there are people that feel a certain way in the organization, there is value to pulling someone aside and saying, Hey, you know, um, I appreciate the attempt of, of using humor. There's, you know, tremendous value of using humor in the workplace, but, you know, just so you know, there's, there's appropriate ways to do it. And that may make some people uncomfortable. Like I think open and honest conversation is, is a way to go. Right. And definitely not responding like tit for tat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Oh, well, yeah, you have it. Cause there's, yeah. Uh, you don't want it to then blow up into an argument for sure. Right. Okay. No, this is good stuff. Well, I, I will say this has been very both entertaining and enlightening, Andrew. I really appreciate the insights. Where can people reach out to connect with you, uh, find out more about you and just learn more about what you do? 
Yeah. So if they're interested in learning more about humor in the workplace, they can go to humorthatworks.com where we have a, a ton of free resources there in terms of the form of blog posts and a newsletter on kind of using humor in the workplace. Um, we also have the, the book is available there, an online course, uh, and then also information about our workshops that we do with individual companies and some of the speaking engagements that we do. So if they want to learn more about that, they can. If they want to connect with me personally, uh, I am Drew Tarvin on all social media. So that's D-R-E-W-T-A-R-V-I-N. Uh, and yeah, you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, YouTube, and uh, recently discovered I still have a MySpace page. So if MySpace is your jam. that uh, Well, let's bring it back. Yeah, right? Who knows? Awesome. I mean, it still exists and there are some people still on it. It's more, you know, directly in the music space. But uh, yeah, you can, you can reach out on MySpace. I love it. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for your time. I do encourage people to go check it out. Not only will you learn something, uh, well, it'll be just as entertaining as anything else you could find out there and you will learn something. So I highly encourage people going to check out Andrew's work. Andrew, thank you so much for being on In the Trenches. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Are you trying to grow your online business but struggling to get new customers consistently and predictably? Are you tired of working nonstop only to see your income plateau? Are you ready to step off the hustle hamster wheel, as I call it? and step onto a path of predictable profit that you can scale as much or as little as you want. Don't worry, you're not alone. I've been there. When I first got started, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. So I started reading blogs and listening to podcasts by people I respected and wanted to learn from. I slowly but surely put their recommendations into practice. But because I wanted to do it all myself, maybe you're something like that, right? You love to do, do it by yourself, learn through trial and error. Well, bottom line is it took forever. Results were unpredictable when I was first getting started. I wasn't sure where to spend my time, money, and energy. And shiny penny syndrome got the best of me on more than one occasion. For many entrepreneurs, the amount I sacrificed, working literally nonstop in some cases in my spare time, and 12 and 14-hour days routinely after going full-time, combined with the endless fog of war, aka that uncertainty that I had to deal with at all times because I was going it alone, I think that would have been enough for most entrepreneurs to throw in the towel. But I was persistent, focused, and I stayed humble. Day after day, I worked to grow the traffic to my website, increase my list of subscribers, and generate a healthy living for my eBooks, eCourses, and other digital products. At least that was the goal. But maybe more important than the work was that I paid attention to what I was doing, including what worked and what didn't. Eventually, I discovered a predictable pattern of growth. And so what I did was I just doubled down on those things, and I scrapped or sidelined the other things that weren't working so well. Finally, two years after resigning my commission as a captain in the army and going full-time on my online business front with my blog, with my podcast, etc., I replaced my income with digital product income. Two years. And so if that's where it stopped, I would have been happy with it. I would have been happy with the results. I wouldn't have complained. I would have been very content just replacing my income. But the bottom line is it was so much work. I wanted to you know, see if it could go somewhere else, right? So I just kept doing what I was doing, but better, faster, and more effectively. Again, just kind of applying the same system that I discovered uh, from seeing these patterns emerge, right? So I implemented it, I kept doing it. And eventually replacing my income turned into doubling my income. And then that turned into a little bit more and a little bit more. But not just that, it afforded me the freedom to dictate my day and also choose the projects I want to work on, on the schedule and on the timeline I want, and to work with the people I want to work with. And to me, that's like a whole new level of freedom, especially coming from the military. It's something I've never really had that level of complete autonomy until I became my own boss. I started my own business, 
And until ultimately, until it became profitable enough for me to start to take a step back and actually reap the rewards of it, because it's not all just working, working, working. And I do believe it's hard work. And I'll always say that nothing about doing this stuff is easy. But at the same time, you've got to reap the rewards at some point and take some of that profit, uh, even if you're just reinvesting it into new assets and things like that. Bottom line is, it can't just be work, right? Entrepreneurship and business is about that result that occurs, the value you've created and the profit, that, that piece of value that you've captured, okay? And you want to be able to reap the rewards of that profit, of that value, that little sliver of value that you get to capture, that you get to net, right? You want to be able to take advantage of that. Otherwise, you know, the entrepreneurship game really does become just a grind. And, and for, I think, a lot of entrepreneurs, unfortunately, it becomes meaningless, and that's when they quit. Well, for me, I love this stuff. I really, truly do. I mean, it is my thing. And so that's why I didn't just stop where I was at. I've stayed committed to learning everything I can about all aspects of this online business world and this online marketing world. And I do this through real world application. In other words, I'm currently growing several online businesses and I'm always putting my ideas to the test in real time with my own money, with my own time and energy, oftentimes with employees, you know, a lot of some, some stuff more advanced, some stuff more simple, but you know, so varying levels of complexity and again, in different spaces, different niches. And I can say, you know, bottom line, I've always loved the startup hustle, but I got to say, it's nice to now be in a position where I can get big results with much less effort, thanks to having built the foundation of my business the right way. And again, I did it all through trial and error, but I don't think that that's the way that everyone needs to do it. And in fact, looking back on it, if I had to redo it, I don't know if I would. It was so difficult to just go it alone and try to figure everything out by myself. So one of the things I've tried to do is give back with this podcast, with my blog, and with my newsletter. But maybe even more rewarding than any of this stuff, while I've enjoyed all of it, I think the thing that I'm enjoying the most, that I find most engaging and rewarding, is the premium business mastermind and coaching program I run called 100K Academy. Inside 100K Academy, I help ambitious entrepreneurs who are very driven and excited to be doing what they're doing. I help them grow their reach, their influence, and their profit using my proprietary marketing system. That's the same one I use to scale my own online businesses from zero to multiple six figures and beyond, and the same system I use to help my clients reach the New York Times, Wall Street Journal bestseller list, set Kickstarter funding records, and create viral product launches that have turned into predictable revenue streams. So lots and lots of case studies that you can find at tommorcus.com. If you're curious, just go to tommorcus.com slash about, and that'll get you started. Most importantly, this system is one that 100K Academy members and alumni have used to achieve tremendous results, like Alexa, who used it to have her most profitable year ever, or Tina, who used it to make five figures from a sales funnel that she can now replicate and scale, and that's exactly what she's doing, or Carrie, who made over $75,000 in just seven days. And the crazy part about his story was that his online business was actually a side hustle up until that first profitable launch, which he has then been able to grow and scale. And he subsequently quit his job following that very successful week. And I think that that has been just a game changer for Carrie and the life he's living and the work he gets to do and the impact he gets to make on the world because of the great work he's doing now, because he was able to figure out a system that would get him the targeted traffic, the subscribers, the sales to grow a profitable online business. Bottom line, if you want to grow your online business from six to seven figures, but you flatlined or you're struggling, or you just want to be told what to do and when to do it and in what order, right? And you want a system that is predictable and scalable and isn't just you know another shiny penny, but actually will fit right into your business. It plugs in 
and is something that you can truly grow, I want you to go to tommorcus.com slash academy. That's tommorcus.com slash academy. Academy is spelled A-C-A-D-E-M-Y. Go to tommorcus.com slash academy, and you'll find a page on my website with more details about 100K Academy, the business mastermind coaching program I run, as well as instructions on what to do next. Again, that's tommorcus.com slash academy. And if you're serious about growing your reach, influence, and profit, just follow the instructions and we'll be in touch, okay? Again, tommorcus.com slash academy. Go ahead and head over there now. That's it for today. Stay frosty.